is good, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Fundamism Podcast, the first episode of 2021. Now, I know many of you are hungry because you are avid listeners and ingesting the Fundamism philosophy and learning more how to create joy, fun, and fulfillment in your life. And that's why I'm very excited about what we have in store for you as the year progresses. You know, there's a lot of brilliant minds on the planet, brilliant minds that that talk about the importance of having your why, right? Your why, why do you do what you do? Why are you so passionate about whatever it is you're inviting into your life? My word for this year and beyond is how, specifically how, because you can know why you do what you do, But understanding how to make it happen or how to create additional joy, fun, and fulfillment in life might be a little more challenging. So as we progress in our fundamism journey together, you're going to find that we're inviting guests that talk very deliberately about how they invite joy, fun, and fulfillment in their life. And we got a doozy for you today. But before I introduce him to you, I want to shout out our sponsor charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle has been with us from day one. They are not only an amazing lifestyle apparel brand, but they are doing really big things in community and specifically showcasing the power of kindness and heart in everything that we do. If you know nothing of charliehustle.com, do yourself a favor, go to Charlie Hustle to learn more. Now, our guest uh, coincidentally brought a Charlie Hustle item on our show today, the What's Good Fundamism Charlie Hustle collaboration shirt. Our guest is a devoted husband. He is a father of four, a dog dad, and the CEO of Premier Speakers Bureau, Mr. Sean Hanks. What's good, my friend? Well, I'm fired up after that intro. I'm I'm a little tired, Paul. My goodness, you bring huge energy to everything you do. That's exciting. And I don't want to hijack the intro, but what a perfect timing. This shirt is incredibly comfortable. And I told you prior to, I wanted to wear it on camera here, but I also felt like I had to dress up and look like a professional. So I will be working out in this shirt this afternoon. I actually, I, that's not hyperbole. Legit, I'll, at 4.30 today, I hit the gym in that shirt. So I love it. It's comfortable. You know what's funny is you said that you, you came on and you wanted to look professional. I myself, uh, for those of you not uh, indulging on YouTube, I'm wearing a, a Dumb and Dumber shirt. I don't know if you could see this, but this is <laughs> Lloyd Christmas and Harry on it, a button up uh, with a bow tie. Uh, but I wanted you to understand uh, intellectually where I was in the midst of this interview, Sean. Um, listen. An and orange bow tie, by the way. You that, left off the orange, and that's an important detail that you, <laughs> you omitted. That is exactly right. Uh, obviously, you, you said, I bring a lot of energy to everything that I do. And coincidentally, uh, in all the interactions that we've had, and I want to talk about where they started, uh, you consistently tell me that you're not the most fun individual, or uh, you're going to have to figure out how to be more fun in preparation. Truth, or Boy Scout, that's true. <laughs> but that is false. Uh, that is self-deprecation at its finest, because I follow your social media journey. I see a lot of what you present to the world. And uh, you, my friend, are very fun. So that begs the question, same question we start every podcast with, what do you do for fun, Sean? Oh, my goodness. Well, and you were kind to to let me know that that curveball was coming because what do I do for fun? That's a really 
it's a it's a great dinner party conversation, but it's tough when you really start drilling into what do you do. I'm I was trying to split up what do I do for fun that takes me away from work and is truly what I would consider just like oh this is just for fun's sake. I guess music is that thing, Paul. I love music. I grew up in a musical family, so I play keys. You, you mentioned the social media stuff. I when I just have a heck of a day, like a monster day, not always, but pretty often, I'll go home and just say, I need to figure out a song to play that inevitably turns into me finding something interesting and then recording it and putting it on Facebook for other people to see for better or for worse. It's <laughs> not, there's, it's often mistake riddled. And I will quickly admit that, but I, th- that's the thing when you say fun, that pulls my brain away from some kind of stress or whatever that is. My wife and I love to, we're big CrossFitters, which the first rule of CrossFit is to always talk about CrossFit. Like that's a standard <laughs> joke, right? So I'm, I'm following that rule, but that's been great for us. We're in our forties. We're trying to stay healthy to keep up with the four kids that you mentioned. So that's a stress reliever. And in a bizarre way, that's fun as well, but it's, it's usually accompanied with pain if I'm honest, but <laughs> it's a fun pain, I guess. I don't know. That's a long answer. No, as a father of two, I could certainly relate to that at seven and four years old. You know, we, uh, children, they're, they're my best friend and my worst enemy, uh, you know, <laughs> depending on any given day. So yeah. I can certainly relate to what you're talking about. And I think that, that one of, of your core fundamentals, right? That, that's what we, that's what we define fundamentalism as is the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. And so they're the things that you deliberately introduce into your day to bring joy, to escape mm-hmm. pain, to uh, bring a smile to your face. And I know for you that music is huge. Um, that is one of the main reasons why I wanted to kick off 2021 with you specifically, Sean, oh. and really talk a little bit about how we got to to very loosely know each other. And I use that term deliberately because we don't know much about each other. But um, just, just before we get into spe- specifically who you are and your background and all that stuff, I always find it fascinating that the universe works in mysterious ways, right? Things always happen as and when they should. Now, my last speaking engagement, my last live speaking engagement uh, was with a company called Serva, which is Allied Van Lines and, you know, a a truly an amazing group of individuals. It was in Chicago, Illinois, and it was booked by one Brian Lord. It was the first and only gig that I've ever done with premier speakers. And I was so excited, Sean, for this opportunity, because for those of you listening that don't know, premier is perhaps one of the biggest and most well-respected speakers bureaus in not just the nation, but the world. I mean, they are a significant player in offering value Mm -hmm. to clients. And you're going to learn why as you learn more about Sean. But you're, so you're the last live event that I do premier speakers. (laughs) Then I get word that the IASB, International Association of Speakers Bureau, uh, showcase was canceled. Now, everybody, everybody on the planet was impacted by coronavirus. And so I was super excited for that opportunity. But quite honestly, I wasn't necessarily bummed um, that it was canceled because I knew that I knew that what it provided me was validation and that what I had might be potentially onto something, right? People are, they're interested enough to learn more, right? Then I get a call and uh, it's, it's the IASB and they want to do a virtual. And uh, as you know, you, you guys, uh, cause you're on the board IASB, you know that it's, it's, it's 
there's a lot of members. You guys mm-hmm. offer a ton of value uh, in continuing ed and and how to navigate spaces like this. Sure. And uh, I got the opportunity to do a virtual. And side note, I don't know that you know this, but this was one of my first virtuals. One of oh, my I didn't virtuals. know that, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of my first virtuals. And so you guys, uh, which is amazing to me that like you're literally from a speaker's perspective, the coup de gras. Like if I could get this audience, like sure. this is the best possible. And you're one of the first virtual. <laughs> <I do. laughs> so, I'm going to test drive this in front exactly of uh, right. yeah, some, key, some key folks. Yeah. <laughs> so nevertheless, to make a short story long, Sean, what ended up happening is we connect and, and I do a little bit in the virtual keynote that you experienced on uh, Freddie Mercury and uh, not becoming some background noise, a backdrop for the girls and boys who just don't know and just don't care and just complain when you're not there. And you connect with me following the virtual event, uh, knowing that you're super busy, knowing that you have a business to run, knowing that you're navigating this gray space just like everybody else. And you share the kindest words and you tell me, Paul, go out and look at my Facebook page and find the first (laughs) video that you see of me playing the keys. And that first that video song? that I found was Queen. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's fantastic. I, that's awesome. I don't, didn't remember the timing of it, but I love the providential nature of the whole thing as always. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I'm very long-winded as you could tell. I think that's really important for the audience to understand. Um, and, and then as we progress in our relationship on this podcast, that you understand that, um, that, that you play a very, a very interesting role at a, t- at a period in my life where everybody's trying to figure things out. Sure. And you made an impact by showing a genuine interest in me. And that, I'm sure you're well aware, isn't as common as you would hope or think it would be in today's society. My question, in a very long preface, <laughs> how, did you, how did you come about... Um, how did you come about prioritizing relationships and invest investing the time necessary to make them fruitful? Yeah, Paul, that's a great question. And part of it is encouragement to be more intentional to do that thing. Or that's what I take from it is hmm. I'm, I'm encouraged when you share a moment, if I'm honest, like we had connected through some mutual friends. I know you've got some, some friends in Kansas city that are um, friends of mine and that I, I, that I respect a great deal. Um, that had value. So in that moment, I thought, oh, what a great guy. I've got something I want to share with them. I, I, I am not exaggerating. It's not hyperbole to say, I say often, I'm not a fun guy. So please don't, don't hear me backtracking off of that. But in the moment, I just thought, well, this is how funny, fun, funny that I re- recorded this, by the way, that took like 10 takes because that was a really tough song. Queen, <laughs> Queen, those people, those guys, amazing musicians, all-time musicians, we know that. But it just in that moment, I was like, how funny that I recorded this. That was something you had used in your presentation. Hey, check this out. So it, that was just universe winking. I've heard people describe it that way before. Um, I'd done something that I got a kick out of, thought you would, and it meant something to you. That's cool. I am, I'm old school in the approach of like people genuinely ultimately buy and take advantage of services from people that they like. So if I'm honest, it might be self-serving. I want to say it's just because I want to make the universe a little bit better when I leave it than when I got here. Um, It is self-serving though. (laughs) 
What's that? I said, you want to say that, but you won't. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but ultimately, like people buy and they built, they pour into friendships and relationships and opportunities for people that they like and they care about. So if you can move the needle just a little bit by being a nice person and sending a handwritten note when a text would work and those kinds of things, like over time, I started at Premier in 2000. So this is my 21st year. And I've always tried to take that approach of send a handwritten note, make sure you go one more step to say thank you. Those kinds of things. We'll see if it works. We've been very blessed up to this point, even through COVID, um, which hit the live events industry, like you said, like a sucker punch. Um, man, we're still here and we still got our staff and everybody, all the families that Premier provides for are still here. Um, I think some of that is because of the relationship the attention that we've given for 26 years now. Premier is in its 26 years. I've been here for 21. Those things are connected in some way. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And it, and it's, it's so simple, Sean, like it's so, it's so simple that if you show a genuine interest in others, if you create meaningful interactions, uh, if you allow people to feel valued, then, then ultimately they'll remember you and they'll, they'll want to potentially do business with you and they'll share your value with their friends and their family and all that stuff. But it's, it's, it's so, and, and this is, I'm not cynical I'm just being honest with my experience as of late based on the social divide and political landscape and social media and all that stuff that it's, it's so rare to truly feel it that when you get it, it, it knocks you right in the teeth and you Hmm. recognize it and you hold on without letting go because you know, it's going to add value. And so I say that because as a listener, a Fundamism podcast listener, as we progress in our journey together and you're looking for how to incorporate Fundamism in your life and generate more joy, fun, and fulfillment, guys, it starts with relationships. Ladies, it starts with showcasing a genuine interest in others, staff members, leaders. It doesn't matter who you are. If you just take the time, I heard this recently, that uh, relationships aren't efficient. Now, you can make interactions more efficient but relationships on the whole, they aren't efficient. And so investing time and and effort into making something fruitful can go a long way. So Sean, that's something that you've been doing for the last 21 years with Premier. How did you get with Premier? Because uh, (laughs) the event space is is one that a lot of people would shy away from. Uh, There's a lot of huge personalities in it. Yeah. Tell us about how you landed here. Paul, the, it's a ridiculous story. Almost, almost a fun story. I, a friend of mine, and I, I'll never forget the day. This is October 12th. It was a Wednesday. A friend of mine interviewed at Premier. Premier was, at the time, a five-year-old company. Um, had already had some success, but was a small version of what it is today. A friend of mine interviewed here. She is incredibly sharp. Anyone watching this, uh, hearing this, would hire her in a minute. Um, mm-hmm. She did the entire interview, finished our founder, Dwayne, who's been a great mentor, still in in the mix at Premier, um, did his usual interview question. Do you have any final questions for me? Her final question was, tell me again, what type of audio speakers you sell? She had done the whole interview thinking that as he talked about selling and booking speakers, it was like TV, audio speakers, right? Um, so they they agreed pretty quickly, this isn't the right job for you. And she agreed and said, yeah, it's not for me. And she's awesome. And she's super talented. 
on, literally on her way out, she said, I think I know a guy who might be interested in this gig. I mentioned I grew up in a musical family. Like we traveled and sang when I was a kid and all that. So I've kind of been in this, the, the entertainment booking, whatever representation world to some degree. Right. Um, Dwayne called me on a Thursday morning. That was the 13th said, Hey, do you want to meet up? I didn't know who he was. This was in 2000. I think Google was a thing, but if I Googled it, Yahooed it or whatever, I didn't know what a speaker's bureau was. Like a speaker's bureau is not a thing. You know what it is unless you need it. Right. Right. Um, I went and interviewed and on my way out, he was like, Hey, if you want the job, it's yours. It was just to start as an agent and try to figure it out. You know, it was a, a kernel of a company that was growing, but it was still growing. Um, and I went, I had a, a current job that I didn't love. It was kind of just to get me through a job in Nashville. And the guy was really gracious. I gave my two weeks and he said, no, just like take off, like go do something that you want to do. He knew I wasn't going to be there long-term. I called Dwayne and that was that Friday. I started on that following Monday, which I think was the 16th. And that's the story of how I got here. So I just kind of grew along with the company and have been here for over two decades since. But the, the story of, I desperately wanted this, went to college, got a degree to do it, um, went and did it. I wish that was the story, but it wasn't, it was God just providing some different avenues. And I ended up here and it's been an incredible ride and it still continues to be one. Which begs the question, what do you know about audio speakers? Um, you can plug them in and turn them <laughs> on. Those are my two, my two bits of knowledge. <laughs> so, so interestingly enough, you, you said, you know, you didn't even know what a speaker's bureau was. And that is a fascinating story. Um, I'm sure, and I want to talk about this with you, that you've had some significant moments in your career in the two decades that you've been in the speaker's industry where either a speaker's content really hits you just right or a speaker's personality or delivery style, or you just had this epiphany moment to realize, yes, like this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm super excited about my future in it. For me, the first speaker that I ever got to see live, Sean, was a gentleman by the name of Keith Harrell. Uh, and his concept, oh, of course, is attitude yeah. is everything, right? Mm -hmm. So I worked at Farmers Insurance years and years ago. Um, my, my career culminated as the director of call center operations out in Portland, Oregon, tasked with the performance management strategy of 2,500 people. More stress than anything that I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, <laughs> longing for, for uh, a more lighthearted approach to uh, <laughs> um, But long before that, I was, a, I was a call center representative. And we hired Keith Harold to come in and he did an hour keynote. And I'll never forget, Sean, he got up on stage and uh, he had a headset waiting for him. The same headsets that we, we use every single day. And he yeah. goes, listen, I, I, can't, I can't fully understand or comprehend what it is that you guys do each and every single day. But I know that you have to wear these things. So the least <laughs> I can do is I'm going to wear this for an hour. <laughs> and so he wears in his keynote speech. A headset, uh, the shared suffering. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest part with the little the little AV cord just dragging behind him everywhere he went. <laughs> now, here here's the interesting thing: is I was experiencing him, and I was blown away. Like his aura, his energy, his content. I took so many notes, Sean. I went and I, I bought a DVD, and I and I literally went through frame by frame and jotted down every single thing that he said. 
And I got promoted to a trainer and I started leveraging much of his con uh, his content in my mm -hmm. training rooms. Right. Great. And so I, I became, I became Mr. Super Fantastic Junior, essentially. <laughs> now, side note, again, I didn't know that speaking was a thing. Like I didn't know mm -hmm. that, I didn't know that was a position that he was getting paid for. Right. Yeah. Fast forward, uh, I, I, you know, I moonlighted my career at Farmers. It was done and I was pursuing fundamentalism, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if I was a consulting firm. I didn't know if I was a coaching uh, a platform. I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And I got a call to go do a keynote for the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. And uh, it was through just a mutual friend. And I had never done one. So I said, sure. I, I wrote I wrote the, the content of it. I'm very informal, as you know. I have a general outline, but I went at it. Um, it, was, it was roughly 70 golf course superintendents in Lawrence, Kansas, predominantly male, predominantly white. I, I just say that because it's important to understand the audience and, and what we're talking about. And, uh, and, and probably an ex, they were probably middle-aged to older, right? Demographic. And so here I am, uh, you know, this young, excitable guy, talking about fun in the workplace. <laughs> and, uh, and they pushed back, Sean. I mean, they pushed back considerably, wow. right? And, mm -hmm. they, and they, that's all fine and dandy, but I can't, get my I can't get our folks to get off their dang phones and focus their attention on the job at hand. And so we, we just stopped. Like we just stopped what my desired wow. outcome was. And we got into content related directly with them. So hmm. I'm going to stop for just a brief moment. I know I'm doing a lot of talking, but I, I really... I think it's amazing for people to understand that sometimes you could be very deliberate about uh, a desired outcome. And sometimes to Sean's story and the story that I'm telling you now, you just fall into it magically. The universe happens as it should. Mm -hmm. So I do this gig. I get a call a week later from Angela Cox out of Midwest Speakers Bureau. Midwest? Oh, she's awesome. She Angela's is awesome. terrific. She's amazing. And uh, the story goes, Angela calls and she says, Paul, I got a client that wants to book you. Uh, they loved your uh, a gig that you did recently. How much do you charge? And I said, I don't know. She said, well, what's your website? She, I said, I don't have one. And she goes, well, what's your content? I said, well, this is what I did for them. And then I said to her, Sean, I said, uh, uh, I'm sure you've already figured this out, but I'm somewhat ignorant in your space. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> Can you help? I'm making it up. Yes. Can you help me? And she said, uh, I can't. I, I don't have the bandwidth. Uh, like you, I'm certain that so many um, speakers, uh, speakers, uh, individuals that have aspirations of being speakers, they reach mm -hmm. out constantly asking for help. And she was honest and saying, Paul, I can't. And I said, thank you. I appreciate your honesty. I got it from here. Let's book this client. Sean, we booked this client. And then somebody in that audience wants to book. And then somebody in that audience wants to book. Paul, that's and, the highest compliment you can get from an audience is another opportunity to speak. Well, I greatly appreciate you saying that. And uh, I'll honestly say that I wasn't being deliberate in inviting that, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I was just being the authentic version of myself. Now, Dude, what you is, love. this is the very, this is a very long winded. Uh, th that's the foundation of what we're doing here. Very long winded approach uh, to get back to you and say that you keep bringing up this concept of fun and that you wouldn't classify yourself as fun. How do you define fun? Like, what is fun defined for you as? Oh, Paul, that's a great question. I, my mind immediately jumps to something kind of outlandish or shocking. And I know that's not, that's ultimately fun is probably a moment in time where you just stop and smile and get a chuckle. 
I do love humor. I'm sarcastic, really dry. So I, I love like stand up comedians, that kind of stuff. I guess that the ability to laugh, I definitely have that. And I love it. The, the wackiness that I think of when it comes to fun, uh, my, my, my test is probably wrong or my measurement for fun, but that's where my brain goes to immediately is this like wacky, big, crazy thing. But I'm sure it's should be measured more in the smaller smile moments where you chuckle and go, wow, that brought something interesting to my day. Yes, for sure. Well, the reason why I ask that, of course, is I think that that has been a significant challenge for me in my career and that when people see me, the Dumb and Dumber shirt, the bow tie, the loudness, the boisterous energy, all that stuff, oftentimes you might look at that and say, well, that's unattainable. Like if, if, if this is fun, then count me out mm-hmm. because I'm not that, right? Um, and that is that's the guy wearing a sweater, by the way. Yeah, the professor. The, that's what we call my glasses. <laughs> I need a pipe. Go ahead. I interrupted you. Sorry. No, no, no. Uh, the reason why I bring that up is because I'm not. My goal isn't to help Sean Hanks um, live Paul Long's fun. Like I can't define your fun for you. My goal is through a series of uh, self reflections and questions and activities and potentially showcasing what others are doing for fun that you identify a little more deliberately and invite it into your life, what fun looks like for you. So you said, I love CrossFit. I love playing the keys. I love laughter and stand-up comedians. Uh, you, you love engaging and having fun with your four children. You're obviously a dog dad. You love sharing experiences with your wife. What percentage of your time outside of, of what you do at work, what percentage mm-hmm. of your time at home, your personal time, is really devoted to those things that we just talked about? Music, your family, uh, laughter, and exercise. Oh, percentage. I don't know. I immediately think, man, I wish it was more. That's not the purpose of your question. <laughs> That's where my brain goes. I start analyzing it. I don't know, Paul. I mean, it would be maybe 20% okay. on a good day, I guess. It seems like, I mean, I'm shooting for the, swinging for the fences at that point. I got an hour of workout in the morning. We try to eat dinner together every night as a family, maybe watch a show or two. But I, I, if I'm honest, my default setting is usually I end up on the couch watching TV, falling asleep with the dog next to me, who's <laughs> way too big to be sitting next to me, by the way. I, yeah, I, 20% is too much, I think. But I'm going to say 20% as a guess. So if, if, you lived, if you lived your personal life at home and 20% really deliberately inviting those fun activities in your day, and I really pressed on you a little bit more to, to reassess uh, your willingness to have fun and accept it into your life, would you say that you're more fun than you give yourself credit for? I get, yes, broadening the horizon of what fun is. And I'm speaking to the fun expert. So I'm going to take your, <laughs> your expertise and measurement versus mine. Yes. Yeah. I, I meet the fun requirement. Finally. <laughs> well, listen, I'm not the expert. I don't have any letters behind my name. I'm talking to the professor as evidenced by the. the I'm spider. looking at a book over your shoulder that has your name on it that you wrote that says fun on the front. You're the expert, buddy. Sorry. That makes you an expert. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. So uh, we're going to do some rapid fire. Uh, I I told you uh, a speaker uh, and some content that really resonated with me. You've had two decades in this industry. Uh, What are are some of the, you don't have to explicitly call out specific speakers unless there was a moment where you're like, yes. But -hmm. like, what is the type of content that really resonates with you and, and, and helps you in your quest to get better? Yep. 
Paul, the first speaker that I really thought this person changed my life in a specific way of teaching me how to think differently. Um, I, I've always been fairly driven, sometimes out of fear. Like I don't want to fail, so I'll work hard. Working hard has never been a difficult thing for me, but true mindset of why are you doing the things you're doing, being intentional about the things, the things you think about ultimately are the things that most likely come true. That's not a hundred percent, but it's likely is a guy named Andy Andrews who Andy in the, maybe I can't remember the, maybe it was Oh five Oh six wrote a book called the traveler's gift. He was a guy I bumped into his content as a consumer first. I read it. It impacted my life. I did it with uh, kind of a study with a group of friends that impacted my life. I bought all the DVD. Remember the DVD sets where you would open them up or CD sets and you listen to like 10. It just hit me in a way that I thought this is, it's incredibly practical. It's storytelling, which is how my simple brain takes in information, but it's also true. Like not just, I think this is his opinion. Like this stuff is true and it's going to work forever. It's like the law of gravity, whether you believe it or not, these things work, right? And then I was just blessed to bump into him as a speaker. We represent Andy now and have for 15 years. And it was just such a cool thing for me that I got to be impacted. I wasn't selling Andy Andrews at the time. I wasn't booking Andy Andrews. I was a consumer, loved his stuff, but it's all about mindset. Um, And Andy is that guy, he's a good friend now. And he's still as busy as ever, and he sells a ton of books. Uh, but that that was my entree into um, this is truly impacting people, not in a bottom line kind of way, like, oh, you can make your sales team sell 10% more or get your call center to be a little more responsive and a little and have better attitudes. No, that when they go home, for me personally, when I went home, I was happier and nicer and more pleasant and got more value out of life. And then you better believe when I talked to a client about Andy Andrews, I told them not Andy sold 2 million books. I think he did, right? I told them my stuff because that's what was important to me. So Andy's a great, there's a guy named John Acuff who probably 10 years ago, I bumped into, bumped into his content first and thought, this dude is really funny. And I love that. And he's also really smart and can change my perspective on things. And now we're blessed. We represent John. He does a ton of virtual stuff right now he does it in a studio that's two walls over from me right here wow. um, so once a week twice a week i get to see this guy get on a virtual presentation for 500 people who were stuck in their houses and we're all in this weird covid moment so we get a little tiny taste of oh we helped we were the back end the facilitators to impact 500 people yeah. i'm never going to get on camera and talk to 500 people you would it would terrify me you're doing it now we built the systems. Yeah, but you're the host. You're the fun guy. I'm, I'm along for the ride. But th- those are two and two different decades that I, I got to consume their content first and admit a lot to me. So then getting to represent them and know them and, and help them on their journeys. It's been cool. Like that's the best way I can describe it. It's made it way more interesting. It's not a job at that point. For sure. What jumped out at me in what you said is that when you got to tell your wife or your family or whoever it was about these two individuals, it wasn't how many books they sold is that you were emotionally connected to what they were delivering. They yeah. were, they were genuine, right? And you don't have to mm-hmm. be a speaker to, to be authentic, right? And to live in your, your true authentic form. And, uh, that really resonates with me for many obvious reasons that I'm sure that you understand already. So, 
One of the things that I've struggled with in our industry, hailing from uh, the consultant realm, is that you and I both know that it's very difficult uh, and it takes time to change behavior, right? And so mm -hmm. oftentimes organizations might uh, hire a speaker with the hope or the intent to inspire their leadership team or uh, to improve some key performance indicator or whatever it may be. What's your take on behavioral change as an extension of a, a 30 minute to, to two hour keynote? In a really practical way, I always tell event planners and, and they, they agree with this and it's just a matter of making sure it's practical if your people don't leave with two or three pieces of information literally written down on a piece of paper or an Evernote, or you just emailed it to yourself, like we all use all those things to get information back in our systems, then I don't know that it's going to last very long, right? I mean, if it, I've been in Vegas on a Tuesday morning and seen an interesting speaker and I'll call my wife that afternoon to check in and she'll say, what'd you learn? And I don't even remember who the person <laughs> was, right? But you better believe if I put it in Evernote, which is where I keep my whole life, I'm going to bump into that like a hundred times and it's going to be actionable. So I, I try to consume any type of content from a, and a, this may be self-serving, like what can I do with this now or in the next 24 hours, in the next 48 hours? And it's just an accountability thing for me. But I, I do think that a speaker, especially someone who is inspirational and has an amazing story, that's great. That's your vehicle to teach people something, but they better leave with something actionable or they just heard a great story. That's not a bad thing, but that's not the best version of a thing. Teach 100%. them something also. And the way I measured that really practically for me is something is written down on paper or in my phone, or I texted it to someone to say, make sure I keep doing this thing. Yes. Um, if you're not in the speaking industry and you're, and you're listening to the Fundamism podcast and you're hearing what Sean's saying right now, I want to be explicitly clear. What he's saying right now does not solely apply to speakers. If you're in a, a leadership position and you're trying to transfer a skill, uh, if you're a coach and you're trying to help somebody through a challenging situation and in building skills, people have to understand very practical ways uh, behaviors to implement that are going to help them grow or close whatever opportunity gap. So have you seen very specific techniques that a speaker might use to really, um, to not just relay said practical information, but to get the audience to understand that it's important too? Yeah, I do. I, and I don't want to underplay or overplay story. I think story is how we were created, wired, whatever word you want to yep. use yep. to take in information. So it, the storytelling approach, I think, is what makes most speakers great. Some speakers juggle uh, the passing zone. They juggle uh, actual flaming axes. Yes. I remember the stuff they do because they're willing to juggle flaming axes, right? right? Um, but for most, you know, a speaker that has overcome something that would wreck the rest of us yes. and destroy our lives and they are a not just well-balanced individual, but they are excelling in life, you better believe I want to hear what tools they use to get there. So the story is always very, very important, I believe. Um, but conveying it in a way where it truly is, here are the, it, it can seem cliche at times, but it, for those who are watching, when you've seen speakers and they have three steps, whatever it is, that's not, that's not a, a technique just to just to have something to say, like right. that is an important step. That's how humans act. Like we yes. most often are linear and we want steps. And those people who are great storytellers or great communicators that give you two or three steps, 
write those things down because it worked for them. Sure. That's why they're on the stage communicating it to you. So I, that's, that's really valuable. A real practical way I've seen speakers in the last few years move is to a text approach where it's, hey, text me this number, text to this number. I'm not going to wear you out, I promise. I'm not going to put you on 50 mailing lists, but I am going to send you some actionable material. Um, I think that's a really great way because they can then speak directly to the attendees, um, be respectful of privacy and all those things and not just hammer them with information. But if you're, if you're proactively saying, yeah, share something with me, I promise you they're going to be sharing stuff that you want to read and stuff that is going to be actionable for you to apply in your moment, wherever you find yourself. 100%. Man, I, I said, uh, I, I set false expectations because I said, this is rapid fire. And then you give me some goodness and I just want to continue <laughs> to pull out. So um, there's a lot of speakers bureaus out there and I have the, I, I'm blessed to be able to work with many of them. And consistently, many bureaus tell me, you know, Paul, it's challenging to differentiate ourselves in this space for many reasons. You know, for the most part, meeting planners, they really communicate a lot via email. How do you differentiate yourself via email? And, and what if they're not returning your phone calls or they're, they're getting bids from 10 different bureaus, which often, as you know, creates overlap in who sure. they're getting to see. So my question to you is, what differentiates your brand? What differentiates uh, the, the premier speakers bureau? Mm -hmm. I can tell you what we invest very heavily in and then what people, uh, I follow up with every single event. We had 2000 events in 2019. That was a higher watermark for us. 2020 wow. had different, uh, different things in mind. Right. <laughs> um, but I ask that question every time, like, what can we do better? I always ask what's one thing we can change. The large majority of the responses either indicate you guys are great at service. That is everyone says that every single person says we want to be great at customer service. So I don't claim that um, we have some unique ability in that way. If anything, we are retrograded backwards. Like we, we have to go from the very bottom, like be extra nice to people, just be kind to people, send handwritten notes, always follow up when they say my great, sorry, I couldn't call you back last week. My mom was sick. Yes. Write that down and check the next week to see like, th those are all just, Simple things that just say treat people as humans. Um, and we've invested really heavily in that over the years. Invested in the sense that we've built our systems from the ground up to be able to help our 25, 30 staff members be able to do that intentionally. And then the second piece is what I just mentioned, technology. Early on, we said our industry is kind of an older, dusty industry where, I mean, you still sometimes are getting faxes from, <laughs> from sister bureaus, fellow bureaus. And we just said early on, like a little bit of technology utilization in the space will feel like we're sending someone to the moon, right? So we invested very heavily um, and, and there's a very integrated process with e-contracts that we did 15 years ago before it was a thing because it just made more sense. Like, why should we fax you a document when we can just send you a link? Those kinds of things. Um, event planners tell us very often it's, a, it's light years beyond I don't take any credit for it because we have a brilliant CIO who has managed the whole process for over a decade. His team is brilliant. Um, but the integration of technology into booking Paul to speak, managing all of his travel and event logistics and all those details, making sure he's at the event with all of the data that he needs about your attendees and where his hotel is and what his confirmation numbers, all the stuff that could get lost doesn't get lost but it doesn't require two or three people in the process. There's a back-end system 
that helps us manage all that. So that's a long answer, but those are the two, the two things that I think our, our event partners would say, that's why we choose Premier over a competitor. Well, uh, we're coming close to the end of our time together, Sean. I mean, if we were on a flight, speaking of travel logistics, the, the flight. I'm putting my tray in its upright position. That's exactly right. 100%. The last business related question I want to ask you is related to, um, something that I I know means a lot to you as evidenced by your core values and and how you carry yourself, not just in this interview, uh, but many of the interactions that I've had the opportunity to have with you and others, right? Based on what I've, what I've heard. How do you, how do you transfer being in the events industry for two decades and leading a team in the events uh, industry space are two different things. How do you take your core values and and kindness and showing a genuine interest in others. How do you take that skill that means the world to you and build a culture around it? Well, I would love to say that is, there is a recipe for pouring that into other people. I do think the starting point is bringing people onto your team who value that as well. If you bring someone onto your team who has completely different values, whether they be right, wrong, and different, whatever, getting changing them completely. That's probably an unfair expectation of a new hire. So I think we try to be intentional about hiring the people that we know already value that to some degree. I mean, that, that takes time to figure that out. And we've never, we've not always been perfect at that. Um, I think on a more human level, it's treating those people, how you want them to treat others. Right. I mean, that's modeling. They love to, put that on a t-shirt pretend like I made it up, but like that's been around, I know for at least 2000 years, that's where I originally read it when they wrote it down is you treat other people how you want to be treated. Um, and that rubs off and they pass it along. They experience it and go, wow, that felt better than getting yelled out for a mistake. I'm in a better mood now. When I talk to someone on the phone, I'm going to treat them better. So again, I don't claim any perfection to it, but I think I've never stopped to, fully analyze that. But I think that's the way you get there is you find people that value it. And then you continue to model that you value it first and you want them to value it more and more and more. Yes. Uh, I love it. I, if you're familiar with any Dale Carnegie training, you know, they have a five-step skills sure. transfer process. Uh, first step being explain. The second one is demonstrate. Uh, and mm. something that we as leaders in society typically don't invest a ton or as much time necessary to, to, to reap the benefits, right? Demonstrate the right. desired behaviors, uh, allow them to practice, right? Observe them in the game and then provide them feedback is the five steps. So what you made, what you said makes sense to me. So as we wrap up our time together, we're, we're really going to do a rapid fire real quick. Uh, the only thing standing between you and the end of this interview is you effectively answering these five questions and uh, a power close. <laughs> so uh, question number one, you got the what's good shirt. The philosophy behind that, of course, is uh, invite more of what's good in your day as opposed to what isn't. What's one good thing that's happened to you today? One good thing that's happened to me today I contributed to the Barstool Fund again, which is an organization that's raising money to help small businesses because they're getting crushed under the current environment. Google barstoolfund.com and give money because they're giving free money to organizations, companies that need it that are family run. Sean Hanks, the universe. Yesterday, Barstool Fund 
donated to the Negro League Baseball Museum out of Kansas City. And, no a previous, and a previous Fundamism podcast guest and one of the most amazing individuals you ever meet on the planet, a great storyteller, Mr. Bob Kendrick. So that's awesome. I encourage you and I'll send you the link to see his interview. Please so do. Yeah, that's universe. awesome. Uh, all right. So I got my Dumb and Dumber shirt. Uh, you're an individual that that uh, seems to enjoy laughter. What's your favorite comedy movie of all time? Uh, hands down measured by how many times I quote it per day. And I do mean per day, my wife and all four kids will attest to this, has to be Billy Madison. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, listen, if pee in your pants is cool. <laughs> I'm Miles Davis. <laughs> um, what's the most uh, memorable recent memory with your family? Um, I think that one's easy. We went to Texas for Christmas, which is where my wife and I are from. We grew up in the same small town, high school sweethearts. So grandparents all live near each other. We did Christmas with them. And then we got on a plane, uh, flew to Orlando and did uh, three full days at Universal just to just get all of it out of our system. Mom and dad were exhausted because we got there at 630 and left at 10 every night. Um, we burned off all the calories that we ate, but we had a blast. <laughs> I love it. That's something that I don't see a lot of fun in and uh, being around that many people and waiting in significant lines. So I admire your willingness to invite that into your life. <laughs> fun is a relative term. The kids had a blast. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, knowing that that comedy means the world to you and, and Mark Twain's old adage that humor is the great thing, the saving thing. Once it crops up, all of our irritations and resentments slip away and a sunny spirit takes their place. Uh, you love stand-up comedy. And one of your featured uh, free virtuals recently was a gentleman that I absolutely love, Nate Bergasi and the Tennessee Kid. Uh, who is your favorite stand-up comedian? Oh, that's going to be too tough to answer. Oh, what stinks about that question that is some of them you work with. So yeah, <laughs> he is... Google, if you're watching this and don't know Nate Bergazzi, Google Nate Bergazzi, dead horse. And I understand that is mildly offensive. It's one of the funniest bits I've ever heard. And it's entirely true. Uh, Gary Goldman is phenomenal. It, just one of the most brilliant human beings. Like he's also funny. Google Gary Goldman and the naming of the uh, abbreviations for the States. Jerry Seinfeld's king. I've seen yeah. him several times. I'm old enough to grow up watching his TV show, Seinfeld. I, I think he's a king. I, I mean, Seinfeld is, he, he's the king. The others are hilarious. If you're funny, I'll watch you. Beautiful. I love it. All right. Last question. Final question. You are an individual driven by music. Uh, you listen to it with purpose. You invite it in your day. You actually are somewhat of a musician, uh, self-described. Uh, if you had to identify your ideal walk-up song, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. That's tough. <laughs> oh, I got it. I am probably the biggest 21 Pilots fan you've ever met. Wow. And there's a great tune off their second national record. It's called Holding On To You. It's a great tune. That'd be my walk-up song. Love it. All right. By the way, I blew it. I blew this. I'm sorry to hijack. You've got a great ending and I'm excited about it. When you ask about when you, you ask about my, what my ending looks like. <laughs> no, you got a book on you, you wrote a book. You're gonna be great. 
Anchorman would have been maybe one of my second, third yeah. best comedies. Yeah. I mean, it's eminently quotable. At Christmas, because we had a very scaled down Christmas party because of COVID, we did awards for all the staff. And we we probably made like 10 just ridiculous made up awards. This was my award that I gave <laughs> to someone. And it says, I'll hold your drink award. And Control-Alt-Delete is, is, I can't remember what it says. But this was given to one of the best people in the planet, a guy named Chris Yunt, but that he hi, he someone photoshopped my face onto Ron Burgundy. And I when you said fun, I thought I need to show you this. So anyway, Anchorman would have also been one of my uh, one of mine as well. Who's been messing with the teleprompter again? You know Ron reads it. <laughs> I can't identify one thing that you talked about that I wouldn't classify as fun. So I will say that you came on, uh, you you set a very low bar, and then you destroyed said bar and went <laughs> by far and Expectations. above beyond. Hey, in closing, thinking through uh, the way that you intentionally lead your life with kindness and whatever it may be. Uh, in closing, do you have any like uh, a mantra, a quote, or something that just just consistently rings true in the back of your mind that you try to live your life by? I would love to tell you that I'm that disciplined. I am a a person of faith, and I'll tell you that instructs everything I do. Um, there's a great, um, there's a lot of wisdom that a very smart man once said that said, "Do not be anxious about anything." And over the last two or three months, that has been bouncing in my head. I read it 25, 30 times a day, and it just encourages me in a way that kind of takes my takes my hands off of the all of the sloppiness of COVID and live events or rescheduling, closing in on a thousand live events, trying to get them virtual, all those things. Do not be anxious about anything. It has a lot of, uh, a lot of wisdom baked into it. So I, I guess I would say for the most recent few months, that, that uh, wisdom from a very smart guy a couple thousand years ago, it gives me hope. I the future it. is bright, Paul. The future is bright. get here faster than it is especially with you leading the charge and ensuring that uh, you're putting individuals out in front of others that potentially can inspire them to find what that light looks like. So from the bottom of my heart, I greatly appreciate you being on here today, Sean. You know, one thing that resonated in closing with me and in and, and what you just said and being a faith-driven individual and trying not to be anxious, obviously, is one of my favorite fundamentals this year is embrace awkward moments. And uh, we've all had moments where uh, maybe a conversation goes silent or you, you mess up a word or an interaction doesn't go the way that you want to. And it's really uncomfortable and it's awkward, right? Uh, but ultimately, no one's thinking about it as much as you are. And if you find comfort in awkward no- moments and you, you reserve uh, the opportunity to feel as anxious as we oftentimes do, well then, man, the future is bright. So Sean, Mm. I greatly appreciate you, brother. To the Fundamism Podcast listener, we couldn't be whatever the heck we are without you. We greatly appreciate your support in this journey of Fundamism and our quest to improve and increase the amount of joy, fun, and fulfillment in life. We challenge you to go out, create some fun in your life today, and do it in the lives of others. Until we meet again, be safe, smile often, and deuces. Deuces.